Hello, darlings! Welcome back to Lum Squad, the podcast that we're discussing the wonderful Wacky World of Hunkataka Hayes, Boy meets Alien Girl Ensemble Company Classic, Yurisei Atsura. I'm your host, Lum Nomiyasha. Once again, apologize for the month's long hiatus between episodes. Once again, between work, life, and my other podcasts on Mavericks, I fell behind on editing and releasing these episodes on our main feed. Episode 6 and 7 of this podcast, covering volumes 8 and 9 of the manga, have been available on the Mindless page for a few months now, but it's taken me until now to just get the time to finally do the last few finishing touches I needed to do before posting this podcast publicly. But I've been catching up on editing Lunch Squad episodes, so I'm hoping to release the four episodes we've had recorded, plus record and release podcasts covering volumes 11 and 12 of the manga before the end of the year. However, if you're interested in checking out episodes of the show early, definitely subscribe to the Monoworks Patreon at our $2 early access tier. I plan to have more episodes of the show up early and regularly for our Patreon, so if you want to listen to episodes of not only Lum Squad, but Manga Ramericks early, you'll definitely get your bang for your buck at that tier. But before we start the show proper, there's been a lot of Yurisayatsu related news these past few months since we've been on hiatus that I wanted to touch upon. First, I wanted to mention that Rumukun Hagashi has started up her own Twitter account earlier this year, going by at Rumukworld1010. The account is managed by her assistants, but she often answers questions asked and sent in by fans, exploring her work-life schedule as a mangaka, her thoughts on her art and the creative process, how she approaches writing different characters, and even thought of specific moments in her stories. Since September, she's also been doing a semi-daily series where she shares thoughts on different characters from her works and why she created them, what she sees as the rule in the story, and she's done a lot of your Seatsu characters, too. And the good folks over at the Rumi World fan site have been translating and archiving old Takahashi's Twitter Q&As and character profiles which include a lot of great insights and details on Takahashi's thoughts on Yurisei Yatsura and its development and its characters. And I'll include links to their roundups in the post of this podcast. I highly encourage you to get them reads through. And AC and I may do a retrospective at the end of the year going through her Yurisei-related thoughts and insights that she's been sharing on Twitter too. Moving on to anime-related news. The Yurisei TV anime celebrated its 40th anniversary on October 14th of this year, and to celebrate, AC held an awesome Discord stream for the members of the Lum Squad Discord, a big marathon of every episode of the TV series, which ran continuously for over four days. It was such a blast watching as much of the series as I could on that stream while the rest of the Lum Squad community getting a chance to revisit some episodes that I don't watch that often but are really underrated and overlooked and so really entertaining. And while we haven't yet recorded a podcast commemorating the 40th anniversary, we do intend to do something for it. And the celebration stream really made me want to start covering more of the anime on this podcast sometime soon. Which brings us to our other big piece of news. Disco Tech announced back in early March that they've licensed and will be releasing the remaining Yersi Outsider movies besides Beautiful Dreamer on Blu-ray. All the movies have been streaming on Crunchyroll since March as well, and it's been great to have them readily streaming and accessible. The first of Discotech's Blu-ray releases is Yurisei Atsura Only You, which will be coming out November 30th, 2021. There's been a bit of confusion 
What are the cut of the movie on the Blu-ray? Is the edited theatrical version or the full uncut version? Since listings on websites currently labeled the movie as only being an hour and a half long rather than the full 101 minutes. But considering the version up on Crunchyroll is the full version, I think we can expect the Blu-ray's version to be as well. But AC and I will definitely review Discotex releases when it is out. And we have already actually recorded our discussion and our thoughts on the film proper. And I'm hoping to have that podcast out to you guys on the 30th in time with the release of the new Blu-ray. And it was such a blast revisiting talking about Only You and being able to rewatch all the movies really easily now that they're streaming. And I'm just so excited to pick up Discotex Blu-rays and cover the rest of the films on this podcast. And our love the forever said, man, I'm so looking forward to that. This is going to be a real fun conversation. I just know it. But while there's a lot to look forward to in the future of Yersi Yatra and this podcast, sadly, I must close up our catch-up with a really sad piece of news. Akira Ito, veteran musician and lyricist who wrote Blum's Love Song, the iconic first opening of the series, also a slew of other iconic anime themes, including the opening of Stop Hit Barikun, another old-school favorite of mine, and the ending of Cutie Honey. He passed away at the age of 80 in early May from acute renal failure in the hospital. Nikito was famous in Japan for his various commercial jingles alongside his anime themes, and his songs were always insanely catchy and memorable. I first discovered Yurose Yatsura by stumbling upon the first opening on YouTube, and Ito's memorable catchy lyrics for the song was immediately endearing and a huge part of getting me interested in checking out the series. Lum's Love Song is a truly iconic encapsulation of the series, and I think it's near and dear to the hearts of all of his Yurose Yatsura fans, and I can't imagine the show without it. Uh, Kirito's scenes in general are just bangers, I've re-listened to the style of Barikan opening in equal measure, and he was an incredibly talented songwriter who will surely be missed. Nevertheless, his work will continue to live on and entertain generations of fans of the classic series he's contributed to in the years to come, and I want to thank Ito for gifting us with Lumslope's song and his many iconic anime themes. And in honor of his memory, I just want to close off this intro segment and seg into our discussion proper by playing Lumslope's song in his memory. Ito Watashiga Darling, 
Greetings and welcome back to Hashtag Lum Squad, a podcast devoted to the wonderful and wacky world of Rumiko Takahashi's Yurisayatsha. I'm one of your hosts, Lum Ramayasha. And I am Andrew A.C. Yoshimura. And today we are finally talking about the long-awaited arrival of one of the series' most important characters. That's right. <laughs> we are discussing the eight omnibus volume of Viz's release of the Yurisayatsura Manga Day, which features the debut of the one, the only, Ryanosuke Fujinami. <laughs> You've uh, you've had this uh, coming up for a while, haven't you? You've been looking forward to this one. I am. This is the first time that English reading manga fans are able to enjoy Ryunosuke chapters and her story, and I'm so excited for that. And you get a lot of Ryunosuke in this volume. In fact, the entirety of the volume 15 part of this omnibus volume is just Ryunosuke, and it's such a first That's for right. Takahashi. She would often introduce new characters and have multiple chapters devoted for them, but this is the first time an entire volume, front to start, is devoted to one character and their storyline. <laughs> and it just shows you just how great, fascinated she is with her. And for good reason, it's no wonder that this character and her storyline would eventually evolve into a completely different manga. That's right. <laughs> We're of course going to touch on Ranma a little bit later on. Mm. First, a couple of housekeeping things, though. Crunchyroll is now streaming all five and a half movies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say which one is the half, but you can figure that out at home. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, I also don't consider it. I also, when I think of your sets of movies, I think, oh, they're the five movies that I do forget the other one. Even though, you know, <laughs> I, it isn't that bad. I do enjoy parts of it. But, you know, the final chapter, it was supposed to be the final. And when you do something it after was that, supposed it's to be like, the final. you know, this is kind of out of place in this series now. But yeah, that would have worked so much better as an OVA. But we'll we'll get to that at some mm-hmm. point in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we definitely so plan to cover news. all of them. It's good news that um, people are seeing Urusei Yatsura. Probably some people for the first time. So you know that's a bit of a boon yeah. for us as well. Uh, they'll uh, hopefully go back and start looking at uh, some of the anime. Although the anime itself is not available for streaming anywhere at the moment. Yeah, but there are ways to get your hands on it <laughs> legal or otherwise <laughs> and hopefully the movies being added to Crunchyroll is the first step towards more of the anime being legally available readily for everyone to enjoy I am hoping that the success of these movies does pave the way for the TV series and OVAs to be picked up by Discotech and released on streaming yeah that will be I mean it's a bit of a task like you know a hundred and um 196 episodes, I suppose it is. Yeah, but uh, AC, did you hear the news long. that Discotech mm-hmm. is releasing Ola Sergeant Frog on home Ooh. video? How many, guess how many episodes Sergeant <laughs> Frog is. I'm going to guess around the thousand mark. Well, Jeez, that's been going for a very long time. <laughs> you're a little off. Uh, it's 358 <laughs> episodes, but that is like... Quite a significant amount more than your Yatsura, almost double. So if they can do Sergeant Frog, yeah. if they can commit to releasing all of that on home video, I don't think your Yatsura is that out of the cards anymore. I don't think so. I think I think it's a it's a definitely a possibility. Uh, it's 
I think um, I just have such a close connection to the Animego subs that they did. The original subs back in the 80s and 90s were just so rich, so full, and so um, full of cultural information um, that they'd uh, have a bit of a task to kind of live up to, I suppose. Yeah, but they have good connections with Animego and Robert Woodhead, so I'm sure they could probably get a bunch of those old production materials and supplemental materials for those DVDs as bonus features in a potential If if they've got those connections, yeah, that would be fantastic if they could get those. It's interesting mm-hmm. the way right stuff works in Japan as well. Um, of course, you need to buy the, uh, the, the rights to the series is separate from the rights to the movies, which is actually also separate from the rights to the OVAs. Mm-hmm. And movie two had like separate rights from the rest of the movies too. Yeah, internationally that is the case. Yeah, because uh, movie two was actually uh, animated by a different studio mm-hmm. than normal as well. A uh, different production company there, which we'll talk about that. We'll... We'll go through each movie and devote an episode of Lum Squad to each uh, each movie, which I think they all deserve, aside from Oh, them. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, today we are going to be looking at uh, Volume 8. Mm-hmm. So we're about halfway through the series-ish. Yes, I mean, next volume will be officially halfway, because series is 34 mm. volumes, and so 17 would be... You know, the first half of the ninth omnibus. So we're we're nearing it, though. Mm. We're nearing it. And it is crazy that one of the most significant characters in the series does appear so late into the series. But, I mean, she very quickly ingratiates herself into the main cast and kind of becomes the protagonist. Again, for this It is interesting the way that she just kind of joins up and doesn't really question anything that's going on. Uh, especially yeah, Lum. Lum's just kind of there, and she never really goes, hey, there's a flying alien with, you know, electricity and stuff like that. It's just like, eh, whatever. She's pretty used <laughs> to weirdness. Like, she encounters all the alien characters, and she doesn't really bat an eye. Like, maybe she's just used to weirdness in her own life, being with her dad for so long. She's probably <laughs> just already... Maybe that's the thing. None of these other characters she meets. Lum, Karama, the Crow Tengu Ten, none of them are weirder than her dad. No, that's true. That guy is just a freak of nature. Yes. (laughs) One thing before we get into the contents of the volume I just want to shout out is that with this volume, we do have a new editor working on these graphic novels. Poncha Diaz has taken over the editing duties. From Amy Oh, Yu. interesting. Mm-hmm. And I had the pleasure to talk to Pancha about another series she edited, Burn the Witch, on the Manga Arts podcast. So I was pretty oh, wow. uh, pleasantly surprised to see that she has now joined the localization staff of the series. Yeah, that's good. It'll be interesting to see if we find any significant changes in this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to change up the format a little bit. We're going to assume that you're already all Urusayatsura fans. <laughs> if you're listening to Lum Squad. Um, so we're just going to do a brief summary of each chapter. We'll take it in terms of summarizing the chapter. Uh, and then we'll just talk about our feelings and our thoughts and opinions on it. Yeah. Okay, so how about uh, how about you go first for the first chapter, which is Family Feud. Yeah, so our regular Tomobiki High crew are at the beach and they encounter... Some weird people yelling at the ocean. They're screaming out, stupid ocean, and running away from the waves that come crashing back at them. They kind of investigate and find out that these 
guys, the Fujinami family, they're upset at the ocean because, you know, they make a living running their shop at the beach, but, you know, the beach eventually recedes at when the summer ends, so they do this routine being mad at it. They also eventually find out that the child of the duo, Ryunosuke, is upset at her father because even though she at first glance appears to be a boy, she in fact is a girl, and her father has raised her under the Spartan upbringing of like treating her as a man so that she you know, she will grow up to hair at the shop because only a man can do that or whatever. But, you know, <laughs> they start fighting each other. They're at each other's tropes because they don't see eye to eye. And begrudgingly, Ataro and co. decide to help them by chaining them up to their store. But these guys are so stubborn and headstrong and so strong that they pull their chains and restraints and they cause their shack to collapse on top of them. And continue their fight. And so our regular gang of protagonists just decides to leave because it's pointless trying to interfere in this family's problem. <laughs> so this is a great introduction to the character, I think. Both characters, really. Ria and Oske, you really don't know what to make of them at first. You just think they're kind of a freak of the week, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, the, um, the, the main protagonist gang seem to just run into weird people, when they're, especially when they're on holidays. And, uh, of course, no, this is actually uh, two interesting characters who are basically finally uh, round out the cast. Yeah. I mean, Ryunosuke is the fifth member of our Tomobiki High gang, joining La Mataru, Mendo, and Shinobu. Hmm. And it's interesting because she has dynamics with each of them. She also has, like, her own thing going on. So it's like there are storylines in which she's the focus and the other characters are kind of off to the side just watching and reacting. Yeah, and I think I think that is good that she does slot in with them so well as well. And you've got, uh, you've got Ataru being his normal pervy self. Doesn't matter if, you know, she looks boyish. Mm. He's, he's all about it, always sleazing on her. Shinobu and Ryanosuke's relationship is very interesting and gets much more interesting later on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, the elephant in the room is, of course, that uh, these two are basically proto-Genma uh, and Ranma. Yes. And Takahashi has said that she was actually thinking of ending the series until she introduced Ryanosuke as a character. Yeah, I could see that. I remember in an interview she's saying, like... There were two characters in her stories that really overtook them as they went on. One was Yunosuke from Yurisiyatsu, the other was Shomaru and Inuyasha. And that's really true, because from this point on, Yunosuke really is, like, such a major driving force of so many storylines in the series. And is like, as we mentioned, she is the focus for basically this entire volume, the entire volume 15 part of this omnibus. And even mm-hmm. from there on out, she will consistently have focal chapters and storylines devoted to her. More so than really any other character character on her own. Like, other Mm. characters, their storylines are all entwined with Ataru and Lum. But Ryunosuke's storyline doesn't really have anything to do with Ataru or Lum. Like, her storylines stand on their own and they, Ataru and Lum are yeah, supporting. They just watch and they interfere in it a little bit. But it her storylines have nothing to do with her relationship to them and aren't really affected by them 
she really has her own thing going on in the story and in the series. Mm. Which I think is it's a great introduction. And of course, I don't know if um, if Takahashi was thinking it was a one and done or while she was drawing and having fun with this character, she went, oh, I really like this and just kept going. Who knows how <laughs> planned it is or how much she was willing to focus, but it obviously became a focus. Mm-hmm. So chapter two is Hello, Sailor Suit. So, of course, uh, Ryonosuke and her father are moving into Tomobiki High School for the little stationery shop there, basically. Um, they're still fighting, and he's taunting her by saying, you can wear a sailor suit, which is a Japanese high school girl's uniform, if she defeats her dad. Mm-hmm. And so she gets pretty fired up. And this is the start of a... Um, Kind of uh, a few chapters here of uh, of Rianosuke basically, and the and the rest of the cast kind of getting to know her, and of course her really wacky father. Yeah, more specifically, this kind of start of a few chapters in which Rianosuke is specifically trying to figure out a way that she can present femininely and pass as a feminine woman. Like, she really wants to be seen and treated as a woman. And initially, all these other students, they think of her as a man before she basically unsheets her jacket and reveals that she has, like, a wrapping underneath, kind of yeah. squashing in her mm-hmm. boobs. And, like, yeah, and from there on out in, like, the other storylines, it's all about her, like, wanting to wear feminine clothing or trying to figure out how to act more femininely. And that's a huge part of her character arc. It is, yeah. And the fact that she she's not, although she does try and sneak around her father, she does want to genuinely defeat him to kind of gain his approval of her being seen as a woman. Yeah, she wants to be respected as a woman. Like, she, her mm. father, even if she were to wear the sailor suit right now, as the Ataru's and the rest of the classmates, like, bring one to her, they take it from Mr. Fujinami and give it to her. Like, even if she were to wear that, her father would still not just accept her as a woman. She wants that respect. And in this Mm. way, her storyline really is resonant of a lot of trans people's experiences and how they also want to be seen and respected for the gender they are by family and by society around them. Yeah, and this was becoming something that was being seen more and more and more back in the in the 1980s in Japan it was very not talked about until around this time and manga was definitely a way that people could write stories and read stories about this these sorts of issues mhm and in Yurinosuke's case it's more abstracted than in say like an explicit trans character like Hibarikan from Stop Hibarikan because Yurinosuke is a cis mm. woman but Yes. Her storyline, the way she, as a masculine presenting person, a person who, based on her appearance and the way she was raised, is treated by society at first glance as a man, the way she is trying to rebel against that perception other people have of her to be able to present as the woman she is, is so resonant of the trans experience. I think so. And, you know... Hats off to Ataru, who just treats her just like a woman all the time, no matter what. <laughs> yeah. Which is not the best thing in the world, but also, no. you know, Ataru. Not the best. I will say that Ataru has his moments here where I'm upset at him for some casual homophobia, but 
We'll yes, there are there are glimpses of that. Yeah, it's it's a shame, but also you have to remember this is a different time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, I mean Takashi's gender politics are complicated. That's a podcast in of itself. But to move is, on to the next is. chapter, and speaking of Ryunosuke being misgendered by other people just based on her looks, the teachers basically, hmm. with the exception of Onsen Mark all decide to just place Ryunosuke with the boys during gym. Yeah. And Ryunosuke, she's not that perturbed necessarily about, you know, doing gym with the boys, but she wants to wear bloomers, but her father refuses to do it. She, he refuses to give her bloomers to wear during gym class unless she beats the boys. Mm. The boys want to take advantage yeah. of this opportunity, though, to basically cop a feel from Ryunosuke by basically doing free sparring to, like, grab her and pin her down. Ryunosuke is strong, yeah. though, so she just throws everyone back. Except for Ataru, who does manage to be very clingy before she <laughs> finally can push him off. But Yeah, the snapping turtle rises again. Yeah, and when she thinks that she has finally, like, kind of conked him out, he's a persistent and tenacious little guy because uh, he grabs her with his legs. And pins her down. And so her father, who's been spying on the gym session the entire time from one of those vaulting boots. Vaulting horses, yeah. Yeah. He, he basically gloats it in her face that he saw her be defeated. So it's unfortunate. So there's a, an, an interesting thing about this chapter uh, that you've seen basically from the start of this this book is that there is a lot more physical martial arts yes. going on here. And you'll notice that Takahashi's skill at drawing this really, really improves. And you can tell that she's starting to enjoy characters being more physical and fighting and stuff like that. Yeah, there's it, really It starts good out action. kind of simple, but she gets better and better and better. And then, of course, this is also a big part of Ranma Half. Mm. Uh, when she does Ranma, of course, fighting is basically, you know, it's like the, the major underpin there for that series as well, is martial arts. So you kind of see her playing around with that when they're when they're practicing judo here, and yeah. I do like Ataru has some skill here, where standing on his head and grips Ryunosuke with with his feet and flips her down, yeah. and it's, it's just a very nice panel, I think, mm -hmm. of action there. Yeah, like you can definitely tell she is exploring her interest in telling action comedy stories with Ryunosuke and her storyline. And yeah, this would definitely evolve into Rama. It's so interesting how she uses like the series she's writing to kind of develop ideas that she would spin into their own series. Cause in Rama too, it started off with the, you know, comedic fighting uh storylines, but then it developed to having more serious action beats and that became Inuyasha. So I like seeing her yeah. explore different ideas. And how she wants to present different types of stories while she's still trying, you know, a different series. Yeah, and that's, I think that's really cool the way that you can just, you can see a through line through a lot of her work. Not all of her work is like that, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mazani Koku is very much its own kind of separate universe. Yeah, Mazani Koku really stands out because there's no supernatural element to it. There's no fantasy or folktale creatures. 
it is a purely it's grounded slice of life in mm. the real world. Although obviously there's still slapstick shenanigans, but it is divorced from any supernatural or sci-fi or fantastical element. So chapter four, Ran, Scent of a Woman, mm-hmm. uh, part one. So this is uh, another multiple parter here. This one is uh, is a pretty interesting chapter because it once again is exploring uh, Rionosuke's wanting to become more feminine uh, and her dad is just being a dick and sewing like the male symbol onto her shirt and giving it to her as a present. And uh, Run, basically, she meets Run for the first time. Run cleans her up with a a handkerchief after being uh, beaten up by her father. She gets it, and then she starts studying Run because, in her mind, Run is the ideal model of femininity. Mm-hmm. So basically, at the end of this chapter, um, she more or less asks Run out on a date. <laughs> Yeah, and Ron goes along with it because she asks Lum, hey, what kind of guy is Junosuke like? And Lum's like, she describes Junosuke's personality, but then when Ron says, oh, interesting, I might go on this date, Lum's like, oh, I, I don't think it would work out. And then Ron gets upset and interrogates why, and Lum says, well, she's a girl. But Ron doesn't believe her and just thinks that Lum is jealous. And because she loves yeah. doing things that upset Lum, she decides to do this date out of spite, which is amazing and so <laughs> totally wrong. That is just the most wrong thing. Run does everything out of, it's both sides of the spectrum, basically. It's like, it's like she'll go hardcore out of spite or hardcore out of love, if it's mm-hmm. anything to do with, with Rei. Right. And Takahashi does something really amazing here. He pits off two women once again on kind of on either side of the, of the spectrum of one being completely and totally feminine in in appearance, and then you've got Ryonosuke, uh, who's basically the other end of the spectrum, who's totally masculine in appearance. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to see the dynamic and the way Ryonosuke kind of wants to be seen as this goes through. Yeah. It's so interesting the way, though, that she thinks about Ron because it is like she's infatuated her, which really goes to the queer code of Yunosuke as a character, because there's definitely some mm. Yuri vibes here, with the way there she smells her handkerchief and talks about how Ron <laughs> smells good. I mean, yeah, there's like totally all the girls in the class are in love with Yunosuke too, knowing full well she's a woman. And I think Ataru has a comment at some point that what girls in love with women, that's just an abomination. Because for Rotaru, yeah. like, you know, if the women are in love with each other, then they aren't in love with him, which is what he wants. Yeah, basically there's less women for him <laughs> yeah. if they love each other. So uh, this also does explore, especially in the note that uh, Rionosuke leaves in Ran's uh, shoe locker the translation difficulties that come through sometimes. Mm-hmm. It says, Dear Ron, I wanna, and then that's obviously uh, with a line through it and said, would like to. So this is kind of a little bit different, difficult for translators because there is a, like there is a feminine way of speaking Japanese and there is a masculine way of speaking Japanese. Like you, you say, watashi or even atashi is more of a feminine thing and boku is kind of more of a manly, masculine sort of way of talking. So it's difficult to get that through in translation sometimes. Uh, so here they've done a pretty good job of 
using kind of slang and trying to make it sound more formal, more feminine, I suppose. Mm. Uh, interesting to note is that my Japanese is actually very feminine oh. when I speak Japanese. And that is because women, when I was living in Japan, most of the people who taught me Japanese were women. Mm. So I have a particular way of talking. And then uh, when somebody said, oh, your Japanese sounds really gay. <laughs> Uh, one of the friends of the school I was working at, uh, his name was Shinji, and he was a hairdresser uh, who was totally gay, then taught me the rest of the way of how to speak gay, <laughs> like a Japanese in a very homosexual sort of way, because he thought amazing. it was fantastic. Wow. <laughs> so people say, oh, it's feminine, and my wife goes, no, no, it's actually gay. He was taught by a gay man how to speak like that. And it was just how I talk in Japanese. Like My, my voice even goes up an octave or two. Wow. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah. Adversely to that, my wife's my wife's accent when she talks in English goes down an octave or two. Interesting. <laughs> because she learnt most of the English off me, I suppose. Okay, so chapter five, Ran, Scent of a Woman, part two. Yeah, so right away, we know that Ran is not cheating on Ray because she has this giant mural of Ray on her wall. Big photo blown up that she, like, presents a food offering to and then kisses goodbye and then squeezing excitement, getting excited over kissing this <laughs> giant picture of Ray. And then Ataru is upset that Ron and Ryu are going on a date, so he wants to stop the date. And Ryu is talking with her father about the date that her dad is super happy that she's dating, but she says it's not a date. She just wants to learn the secrets of femininity from hanging out with Ron. Hmm. So that's basically what happens. Ron and Ryu go out on the date, and because they're not on the same page about who each other are, like, Ron starts getting some ideas from Ryu, like thinking that, oh, she might have pervy intentions. Whereas Ryu is like observing Ron's very exaggerated feminine behaviors, and she's like, "Wow, is is that how girls are? They walk that slowly, and they're that they act this scared of things." And mm. that's interesting. But she does try to mimic some of Ron's behaviors. Like they go to a cafe, and she tries to learn proper eating posture from Ron when eating the parfait, but. That's when Ataru kind of starts interfering, so they, Ron gets upset and love, and that basically dovetails them going on a double date, because Ron wants to flaunt her date with Ryu in Lum's face. And so then they go canoeing, and that's when Ataru tries to jump ship, literally, into <laughs> Ron and Ryu's boat. <laughs> but, you know, Lum holds him back, and the chapter just ends with Lum and Ataru drifting away as Ryu is kind of confused about the way Ron acts and how girls are supposed to act, thinking girls are complicated. Yeah. 
I don't, does she actually figure out that uh, Rionoski is a woman? No, not by the end of this chapter. I'm sure no, down the line, it. maybe. But I love the last expre- expression of Rod in this chapter. Because she's side-eyeing, like, Lum and Ataru, like, in the distance, mm. drifting away. Because she thinks she's flaunting it in Lum's face. Like, she thinks yeah. that her hanging out where you is making Lum jealous. When quite from the opposite. Like, Lum wanted to just go on this date with Ataru and not have anything to do with Ron and Ryu. She just wants to be with Atar. So I, I just love that Ron thinks she has got one over on Lum and Lum couldn't care less. I do like how like Lum's facial expressions in this chapter are really funny because she's, she kind of flicks from being on a date with Ataru uh, and they're wearing kind of cute matching outfits. Mm. Uh, they're both wearing like pants with suspenders on them. Yeah, uh, and it, it's it's a very a very cute sort of visual, and then it flicks from her every time she talks to Ran. She's just like, "Oh, you're an idiot. You're a moron," and that sort of facial expression where she's just so over Ran's kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. But obviously, you know, Ataru is sticking to them like glue here. Yeah, I love it in Ran chapters that Lum always has to play the straight man too. The more bizarre personality of Ron and then her other friends when they get involved too. Like, it's always fun to see Lum in that role, because so often she's the weird one, and other characters have to be the straight man to her, but the role reversal is really fun here. It's a This is a fun chapter. A fun two chapters, those two, I mm-hmm. think, and it, it's great to see that Ryonosuke really shouldn't be learning anything from these people, because they're all terrible people. Yeah, but even more than that, I like these chapters because it shows that Ryu wants to pass as feminine by learning feminine behaviors. But as she's interacting Mm. with Ron, she's realizing that, hey, this isn't who I am acting this way. This isn't really how I want to act. Like when Ron is acting scared of being on the boat and it being rocky, she's like thinking to herself, like, you know, I don't really want to be scared like this all the time you know girls get scared of stuff like this i don't know if i can be like that and i like that realization is that you wants the freedom to express her femininity but she doesn't want to fundamentally change who she is and the personality and characteristics she has that she likes about herself and i think that's exactly makes her such a great character hmm She's always fighting for something. She's always got a reason. Like, there's always a a sort of passion behind her character. Mm -hmm. Which is a really good motivator, I think. Yeah. So, the next chapter, The Arduous Path of Womanhood, is once again just about uh, Ryonosuke and her dad's kind of relationship and the fact that they're always fighting. Um, Ataru is is, um, basically tells Ryonosuke women shouldn't fight with their fists. Like, you know, they shouldn't be violent. Mm. effectively this chapter is is interesting uh but it's it's not very well defined in a lot of ways i think it just kind of trails on a little bit aspect of well i think the ending mostly there's that aspect of it where i can see where takashi's going with it but in you know now i really it comes across mean-spirited in a way that's transphobic That is upsetting. I think there are a lot of great gags in this chapter before that, though. Like when Ataru is saying to Ryusuke that he's going to teach her about uh, 
femininity. So, you know, we can talk about it if you want. He, like, walks away laughing. And we just have these three panels of, like, Ataru walks away. And then in the middle panel, he's, like, really distant. But in the third panel, he likes, he's, like, backtracking. Still while laughing because he thought Ryu would go after him. But she really hmm. wasn't because he didn't clarify that he was actually going to teach her. And then, of course, we have the great gag of, you know, Shinobu and Lum are trying to teach Ryunosuke how to, you know, talk more femininely. And Lum says, hey, try talking like me. And then Shinobu, you know, says, "Uh, no, don't do that. And they get into argument because (laughs) Lum doesn't realize that this is something that doesn't perfectly translate into English. But obviously Lum ends her sentences with dacha and all that. Like she has an unusual speaking pattern. So Shinobu is trying to point that out, that the way she talks is different from regular people. It is, in many respects, an accent or a speaking quirk. It is. Uh, this is one of my favourite kind of meta jokes in the original Japanese version. Because Shinobu, who obviously has known Lum since the start, kind of just calls her out on her weird speaking patterns. Yeah. Now, Dutcha wasn't created by Takahashi. There were, it is a particularly femininely, overly cute way of talking. And people would only ever talk like that to play it up for effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that Shinobu's facial expression here is just like, no, Lum, no, don't, don't talk yeah. like that. Oh my it's God. got this kind of sardonic expression. And they get into an argument. It really goes to show how far their, their relationship has progressed over the course of time, where they're, they're, they're friends. They're not good friends. Um, but there's still yeah. like this kind of underlying animosity between them sometimes. Yeah, I think they're chill. Like they don't want to kill each other anymore. But no. they, they, yeah, you're, like you said, there is animosity between them still. Hmm. Um, my favorite gag in this chapter is basically when Ryunosuke uh, and her father kind of confront each other. And then there is a massive splash page where he just says, your dad was once a girl. He's speaking about himself. Mm-hmm. And he is not an attractive man. And you, it's just a, like a really big splash page. And he just basically goes, just kidding. I can't back that up. But the facial expressions of the art are magnificent oh, yeah. here. The art is amazing. This is the joke yeah. I was talking about earlier. The art is amazing. That- the- yeah. That it kind of reads as transphobic in the way that they're reacting with horror to the idea that yeah. her Rinosuke's dad is a trans man. But yeah, it, it, the, the art is amazing. I, I do love these drawings. It's just, you know, the joke it's in service to, it, it's really hard to to it's divorce misplaced. it. It feel, yeah, yeah, it just does feel like if it's just the joke that you know, it is a joke against his appearance, too. Like, regardless of the yeah, fact that... it's he- mostly to do with his appearance, not yeah. a trans joke, because he is a particularly masculine and unattractive man. Right, but that's also still mean-spirited, just because of the way he it looks. It is. You know, that's... It is, very, it is very much that, but I don't think there was any underlying sort of transphobia there. It was just... It was a misplaced joke. Yeah, I and mean, they don't say anything to that effect, so you can, ex- mm. you know, excuse or deny that, but it... You have... Mm. Sometimes you gotta be suspicious of those undertones, especially knowing that Takashi in other series would have characters act in repulsion to, you know, trans 
quoted or cross-dressing characters. Like in Rom in particular, yeah. there are like two cross-dressing cis male who present as female characters who there are characters who specifically say, oh, this guy is weird. This guy is kind of yeah. creepy or cringe or whatever. And that's it's always very disheartening and unpleasant to see. So you got... Yeah, that's why this, not to be this chapter is a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. That's very true. I like all the jokes up until that though like the chapter up until that like because this goes back into what i was talking about earlier where yunosuke is trying to balance learning how to be more feminine but also still retaining the aspects of herself she likes because you have throughout the chapter characters say oh hey don't fight or don't talk this way and she's kind of hesitant to do that because she she doesn't necessarily mind the way she talks she certainly doesn't mind being a fighter she likes fighting so mm. that's a struggle for her, and that's kind of at the root of her frustration. Because if she can't get rid of these things about herself that she likes, if that's hard for her, but that's also an obstacle for her to be a woman, you know, her dad who has raised her to adopt these characteristics, like that's a lot of the root of the resentment there is that she blames her dad for, you know, raising her to be like this, but at the same time, she doesn't mind being like this, but she does find an obstacle to presenting as the woman she wants to be seen and respected as. Exactly. And that's why this this chapter is unfocused, I think is the right word for it. It just doesn't seem, it's not very cohesive. It doesn't kind of have like a straight through line. And as I said, I really like the art on like the double splash pages. Just the joke, it just doesn't hit. Yeah, no, the the expressions are amazing. But, you know, the page before that, with the confrontation with Ryunosuke and her father, the dialogue in that conversation, mm. I just think is just so resonant of Ryunosuke's feelings and also gender dysphoria mm. in general. It's like she's see, telling him, you know, I can't be a girl, but I can't be a real boy. You ruined my life with the way you re- raised me, you know. I can't just become a man by trying, even though you've, like, forced me into this role. Yeah. So I just, man, I, that... See, it's stuff like that where Takashi kind of unknowingly kind of taps into like really powerful, like queer feelings that is just so resonant. But then, of course, you know, that's followed up with a joke that can be read as transphobic. So it's just a give and take that queer fans of Takashi series have to deal with. Where she has like these great, like queer coded ideas and characters that explore gender nonconformity. But then she herself, even though she's interested in the experience of gender counterparty, she's not really accepting of it. Yeah. And look, you know, people do change over time. People, it was just such a, an unexplored sort of topic and was only just beginning to be more in the public consciousness back then. And, you know, the truth of the matter is also we're talking almost 40 years ago for some of these stories. So it's a, it's a, it's a long time ago. A lot has changed since then as well. So chapter seven, proof of womanhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this chapter, basically, Ten gets upset at Ryunosuke because during one of her and her father's morning spats, like, he gets hit with a table. And so he tries to follow Ryunosuke to school to basically burn her. But in Mm. the classroom, the other kids interfere and they say, hey, don't be wild against a girl. And Ten is adamant, like, Rinosuke's not a girl based on the way she looks. And she tries to throw affection to Ten in the same way other girls in class do. But because 
the mm. way her dad showed her affection as a kid was to give her noogies and bully her and stuff. That's what she does to Ten, and that upsets him even more. But when she does try to hug Ten like the other girls, like Ten, it doesn't change his mind that she is not a girl because, you know, with her bindings, her chest is flatter. So yeah. she decides to take Ten aside and unwrap her binding so that he can hug her again and see that, no, she does have breasts. And hmm. at the end of the chapter, Mr. Fujinabe is trying to kind of discourage Ten from believing so by patting his chest with a cushion to imply, I think, that, oh, you know, Ske, just because her chest is soft doesn't mean that she is a woman. She could just be a man who has patted her chest like he is doing. So yeah. another act of sabotage by him during her efforts to prove her femininity. And uh, just <laughs> the uncomfortableness of like taking Ten away into a space where basically he can touch her up and he actually says, oh, baby, yeah, <laughs> he's feeling her up. He's yeah, not quite joke. right. I don't really like it when, especially because she doesn't realize that he is a pervert that's very yeah. unfortunate and uncomfortable. I mean, I do, because he's so terrible in what he's trying to do, I do kind of like the audacity of Mr. Fujinami trying to pat his own chest with a cushion to confuse yeah. Ten. So I, I do like that punchline, but yeah. That's just another unfortunate aspect of kind of the pervy humor Irizawa can engage in that can be uncomfortable. Yeah, there's something a little bit uh, I don't know the way that he uh, that uh, Ryonosuke's father displays affection to her as a child. There is something kind of Australian there as well. <laughs> uh, like my dad is, and you know, men of the baby boomer era who were raising, you know people my age also kind of had a lot of trouble expressing uh, affection in that way so they would do that sort of thing as well so I'm, I'm reading a lot of this going oh yeah my childhood was kind of like that <laughs> yeah no i could <laughs> you know see kind, it. Of, kind of fun playing around and stuff like that and rather than you know like hugging and, and yeah and that sort of I mean, affection, mr fujinami is of that generation so yeah definitely yeah it's like that kind of rough housing type of affection that you know, mm. you see it a lot that fathers display to their sons, you know, kind of the tough them up mm. by showing them, like, tough love, some little pain, whatever. Oh, yeah. And that was definitely the way I was raised. It was yeah. definitely on the, on the tough love concept. Yeah. Um, so the next one, chapter eight, art is a sport. Um, we're going back to kind of like a, a single gag chapter here. Yeah. That is not necessarily completely focused on... On Ryonosuke. She does get a few pages, though. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting she's, break. She's definitely in here. Mm. But it's nice to kind of switch focus a little bit. Yeah. Basically, they're at the zoo, and they're tasked with drawing this particularly kind of... He looks like a kind of stuck-up emu. Yeah. Sorry, not an emu, it's an, an ostrich. ostrich. It's an ostrich, sorry. My Australianness is coming through again. He has yeah. a very smug expression. Hmm. And of course, if you draw him ugly, he gets angry and starts pecking away and destroys your, your artwork and stuff like that. Uh, the people, all the kids kind of come together at the end of the chapter after chasing him around 
and draw one section each, and it turns into like a massive mural yeah. of like a really bad caricature of the um, of the ostrich. Yeah, but the teachers are impressed. They like think, "Wow, you all pass!" And excellent. Have the representation as the ostrich is madly smacking them in the head, which is great. (laughs) I love that payoff to this. How they trick the ostrich by each of them like drawing a part of him on their own canvases to make a big collage of his image. That's so good. This is a, a fun hijinks chapter. I think you know they have to chase around this ostrich who is. Like putting Looney Tunes esque stumps on them, like he, there's like a rope attached to a party ball, like just, I guess in mid air that he pulls and causes animals mm. to crash down on them before he runs away. Like where is that attached to? Who put an elephant and zebra and lion in a party ball? That's just really funny, and it just comes out of nowhere. He's just like, yeah, very slapsticky gag there but yeah he chase they have to chase him all around the zoo and they're falling in different exhibits and they have to draw him from a distance and you know the ostrich tries to draw himself and gives him his own drawing of himself to them to give to the art teacher but the art teacher doesn't like it because the ostrich drew himself too handsome so that just makes him yeah, more yeah. upset and they, yeah, yeah they're the drawing incognito, but he steps on all the boys' pictures, but he lets the women slide. <laughs> even Lum, even though Lum draws him really badly, you know, he gives her a break because she is drawing her very sincerely and earnestly. Yeah, you, you see this a lot in, in Ursa Yatsura, uh, mm-hmm. when like an animal or an alien will always favor the girls. And just give an automatic fail to the boys. Which is unfortunate for Ryunosuke, because the ostrich misgenders her. But this leads to a great page where she goes into a bear exhibit and fights a bear who was, like, watching a soap opera (laughs) featuring bears while eating his dinner. And, like, she kicks out this bear. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) It's a great gag, that one. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and now we've got chapter nine, The Female Groom. Yes, the start of another Kurama storyline, which is really interesting. Like, Kurama has had so much trouble finding a decent man. Why not find a groom who's actually a woman she can turn into a man? Though, it's not her plan, knowingly, but it's an interesting concept. No. Actually, one thing about the Austin chapter I just want to point out is that this is, that was another one of those chapters that was adapted way later in the series' run relative to when it came out. That was a chapter mm. that came out, like, t- that was adapted to anime, like, towards the end of the run of the series. And they combined it with, like, a, one of the storylines featuring the Spice Girl gang. So they were also there, kind of getting involved with this ostrich pot before the rest of the episode dovetailed oh, into a lump facing yes, right, and stuff. Yeah. So that, that was always pretty memorable to me, that episode. But yeah, to go back to it the. It was quite late. Mm-hmm, yeah. But they go back to this Karama storyline. Karama is going through a bunch of suitors, but none of them are appealing to her. But they show her a picture of Ryunosuke. The Crow Tengus at this point do not know Ryunosuke is a girl, but they assume by her appearance that she's just a handsome dude. And Karama's into it based on his her looks, Ryunosuke's, but 
because Ataru is in the background, she gets a little hesitant to get involved, so she asked her Crow Tengu to test out Rinosuke's character to see if she's really up to snuff. And basically, they put her through tests where Rinosuke saves one of the Crow Tengu from, like, bullies who were paid by them to, you know, act like they were bullying her. And then she gives another Crow Tengu, you know, she helps them repair her broken sandal strap and so that impresses the crow dengu so they go to her house to offer her the marriage proposal but she refuses but they come back the next day to basically knock her out with sleeping gas and kidnap her and take her to Karama's ship but Ataru of course follows suit because he was made aware that Karama was in the vicinity and wanted to kind of interact with her again and the Crow Tengu, after Yunosuke reveals herself as a girl, they try to change her gender with a sex change gun. But Yunosuke, because the gun is so small, she just like flicks it and breaks it. And so she just leaves while Atari is still chasing Karama while is trying to stop him by beating him with a small hammer on his head. This is, it's it's a fun chapter and I'm glad that they kind of built on it a little bit more in the in the upcoming chapters as well. Mm-hmm. But I do like the fact that no matter what Kuruma does, she just can't get away from being associated with Ataru. It does really seem like her destiny is just kind of running parallel to his. Yeah, her fate is inextricably tied to his. I actually wonder, in the storyline where she wants to attract Rei's a student, was Ataru actually involved in that one? I can't remember. Okay, ooh, we'll have to wait to get up to that yeah. chapter, I think. I just thought about it. That might be at least... That might be the one where Taru's role is the least prominent, if I can remember. I think so. Yeah, he becomes kind of less and less involved. Yeah. Um, but he's still always there. Yeah, if not Ataru, <laughs> she still has to contend with Lum and her group of friends. Yeah. So this is uh, chapter 10, Ataru Becomes a Woman. So this is a pretty self-explanatory... Yeah. <laughs> chapter here they basically come with like a a massive gun which is like a a sex change gun which is a lot bigger than the other one ataru of course gets in the way and is turned into a woman this basically is a, a very short exploration of just ataru being a woman but still not being feminine in the least no he basically just grows a pair of tits well it's interesting because there is a an interesting quirk that when Ataru is turned into a woman or gets a female body he does start speaking differently which is represented by the fact that his text dialogue the font is written in a different style it's a different font it's yeah, more, it's written more like a cursive yeah yeah which i think suggests he's talking more femininely or softly yeah exactly i would like to see the original japanese for this mm-hmm just to do a comparison to see whether... Because I don't think he would have changed the way he talked, so they probably just stylized it in a different way. Yeah, to reflect that maybe his voice is slightly different. Because if his Mm. body does change, that would change his voice. That would make sense. Uh, This is interesting. The gag that I do like here is um, when Kosuke basically cops a feel of Ataru's new breasts just by kind of bopping them, Mm. blushes, tags Mendo in and then Mendo goes in for a bit of a 
And then Being he has a, a horrified reaction. Well. He's like holding his hand. And he's and just like, oh my god. <laughs> and then when he reveals his breast, like the entire class reacts in shock and horror, which in mm. this case, in this context, I don't think it's transphobic so much as people are like horrified at the fact that Ataru is a woman considering his personality. Mm. And because they know he used to be a man, it's like, what? what's yeah. going on? Ataru doesn't change. He's still attracted to, to no. women. The, the the funny thing here is that everyone freaks out. Mm. Everyone in the class absolutely freaks out. And Ataru goes, yeah, when everyone freaks out, I actually get karma. Yeah. Actually, Rinosia is the one person who doesn't freak out. Her initial reaction is like, you know, she's glad that she might have a comrade, someone in the same boat as her, which I think is a sweet moment. Yeah. Although Ataru does try to take it advantage is. of it, though, Mando, quickly. Oh, yes, he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. This is, uh, once again... Just going into the next chapter again as well with the um Yeah, well actually we I don't think we talked about the end about how, you know, when the Crow Tengu come back to change Rinosuke's gender, like they mm. basically blackmail her and say, We're not gonna change Ataru back unless you agree to become a man. And it's all And Ataru destroys the gun. Yeah, because mm. which is a great selfless act for him. Like he doesn't want to sacrifice Rinosuke's happiness, a woman's happiness for his own. And I like yeah. that really nice selfless moment with no caveats. Although he does like think at the end, like, oh, I hope I made the right decision. But like at the same time, like, yeah, it's just great that he did this so selflessly. Just get out of yeah. I mean, he has his own reasons in that he would rather, you know, suffer himself than let a woman suffer. Yeah. Just because he really is really horny. Uh, and that's kind of like just he's the character's main motivation in life. Um, but he does do something very selfless here. And he yeah. is, you know, it is that little flicker of light in Ataru's soul. Yeah. And I suppose. It was great for Inosuke because, you know, she was like resigned to maybe you know someone like me it would be better to become a man but that's not really what she wants mm. and so ataru you know basically by breaking guns spares her from having to just accept that fate for herself and then everyone else can still are like yeah it's a relief like you don't have to do this and i think that's very mm. validating and a great moment for rinosuke too it is uh, and interesting little note here, I always point this out, uh, this chapter is one page shorter mm. than the normal chapters are. So whenever that happens, because the chapter is always on the left-hand side of the page, they just add like a little a little um, illustration. Mm. In this case, it's just Lum, uh, Ryonosuke, and Shinobu, which is just a nice little piece sometimes. Yeah, it's just an image from a different chapter earlier on. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah. chapter 11, Sex Change Shenanigans. Yeah, this last chapter of this Kurama Ryunosuke arc, which has a nice little title page. I think the title page for every chapter in this arc has been nice. Like, we didn't talk about it, but the title page for chapter mm. 10, which had, like, handsome Iyatara holding a flower while Lum is, like, crying in the corner with, like, a small tear down her face, is a fun illustration. But yeah, in this chapter, basically Kurama wants the status report of what's going on with Rinosuke. She hears that they turned Ataru into a woman. So, and they try to see, it's like, oh, we turned him into a woman so they'd stop harassing you. And she's like, oh, okay. But yeah, she goes to see Rinosuke and Ataru and Lum are there because they are waiting for Kurama to come back so they can get the Crow Tengu to change Ataru back into a man. 
And yeah, Kurama hmm. arrives and tries to basically consummate Rinosuke, give her a kiss. And Rinosuke can't clearly tell her that she's a girl because the Krotengu have basically drugged her with a hiccup pill. So she's just hiccuping before she can get out any words. Meanwhile, while this is hmm. all going on, Laminatoro also chasing Kurama and the Croteng who have teamed up with Rinosuke's dad, who has the sex scene gender who are, you know, to try and change Rinosuke's gender to a man with Kurama none the wear. But Rinosuke evades and fights back and eventually, basically, during the fight with her dad, her dad unwittingly knocks the hiccup tail out of her. So she can clearly tell Kurama that she's a girl and show her breasts on her abiding. And when the Krotengu try to use her last shot to turn Inosuke into a boy, they are distracted by Atari who gets put in the way of the blast and is changed back into a boy. And so the Krotengu and Kurama basically give up on these because Kurama doesn't really want to consummate with a tomboy herself. Hmm. This is, um, it's a nice little ending here. It's explored a little more in the, uh, in the anime, I think. Um, with some, some shots of him, of, uh, of Ryonosuke's dad, like, with a gun, like, yeah. looking. There's some great animation like, really there. shonen style. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this one, I remember reading this the first time and thinking, oh, it's a shame that they didn't really explore Ataru being a woman. But when I thought about it a bit more, I kind of went, there's nothing really to explore because yeah, he's still just a target. He wouldn't fundamentally change. Like his sexuality, no. that's one thing I like. His sexuality does not change just because he's now in a cis woman's body. Like his mind mm. is still the same and he is still attracted to women. So, oh, yes. you know, <laughs> again, I think this is one of those unconscious like things where Takashi kind of gets across a progressive idea about how sexuality works without really realizing mm. it necessarily. Yeah. But it's something I still appreciate in reading and interpreting the, the text and the characters. I, I agree. And um, so we're now halfway through. There's a little, um, there's a little info section here, yeah. Data File 15. Mr. Fujinami's parenting philosophy. Yeah. Um, which we've kind of already discussed a lot of this already. Um, but basically it says that maybe like he's, he's going about parenting in the wrong way, but he's not necessarily a bad person. He's trying to raise Ryonosuke. I think it's a little too kind to Mr. Fujinami to be perfectly honest. Is, like, yeah. I think the psychology of why he raised Ryonosuke the way he did is correct but i think the interpretation mm. that the article the way it's written is trying to get out that oh he's doing this out of love and because he really really cared and just had the best of intentions i don't think that's correct at all because i don't think yeah i don't think her father really cared that much about her happiness considering he actively ignores her like wishes of like how she wants to actually live her life like, it, no, if anything, he raised in her in the way mm. that would be most convenient for him. That's what's yes. the issue here, is that he didn't know how to raise a girl, so he raised a boy. And that's what the problem is. And that's what the stubbornness right. comes from. Yeah, I think so. And 
yeah, I think he's I think he's right in his own mind is basically what that's trying to say, I think. Mm-hmm. Once again, there might be some kind of translational issues here with some of these data files. Maybe. I think because the data files were written were not written at the time when these were being released. They were written for releases of the volumes, possibly the double volumes, I'm not sure. But, you know, Takahashi wouldn't have had anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. I also think the count column is interesting because we do often because this count column they also have here is about the Fujinami oh, yeah. family mm-hmm. preparing meals. How many times do you see that in the series? And that is something that you often think about, especially in the anime. It often seems like at the start of Ryunosuke's stories or Fujinami family stories, we see them, you know, in their house in the or their room in the school, basically like eating meals to start the day and getting into squabbles there. But as it points out, it really doesn't happen that much in the manga. It just happens 15 times in the course of the series. And they yeah, don't all, always seems like a lot. eat weird meals. Most of the time, it's actually pretty normal meals. And only if, on a few occasions do they eat something really weird. That's true, yeah. These are kind of fun little... The, the counting ones... Are kind of just a nice little yeah. statistic space. They're nice observations sort of about thing. recurring like yeah. motifs in the series. And of course, someone would have gags. had to have gone through all of this and counted them up. Like, yeah, they would have had to have gone through all of this. So I, I appreciate that someone has done that at some point. Absolutely. So chapter twelve, late autumn, and Matsutake. And now which we're is a getting mushroom. a little distant from Yunosuke starting in this one. Though this one, this chapter does have Yunosuke. And Mr. Fujinami yeah, and a lot in of them it. Do. Yeah, a lot of them mm. here do, but more inter- more importantly, we're starting to see a return of some other characters, though, who are kind of absent uh, in the more Ryunosuke-focused storylines of the past volume. Namely, Cherry, who is absent throughout the entire last volume. He comes back yeah, and Which is not here. the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. He has some funny moments here. Using Cherry's sparingly is really good i think mm-hmm. like when he just like randomly pops up for a chapter and then disappears again i, I always love um lum's reaction to seeing cherry yeah. she genuinely loathes mm-hmm. oh my god her face of disgust is so good <laughs> uh this just starts with everyone at school and um onsen mark Obviously, and I refuse to call him the other name, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my god. That's so, like in the table of contents, you have the chapter title called So Long Hot Spring Emblem, and I just, a part of me just sank reading that. It's like, this is really happening. That's really his yep, name this is This is not something we can get out of. <laughs> so he obviously uh, finds, sorry, he finds a big daikon, which is like a giant white radish. Uh, sticking out of Ataru's bag. So he goes and confiscates all of his other stuff from the rest of the students, who were obviously trying to make uh, Nabe. Uh, and it turns out this was a trap. So they tie up Onsen Mark and leave him in the corner, and then Cherry pops up with some mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And they all think that it's uh, Matsutake mushrooms, which are kind of rare and very tasty, apparently. Mm, yeah, they are. And uh, so they, they all cook them. And of course, they're not actually Matsutake mushrooms. They're just something weird and random that the cherry found somewhere. Uh, and some people, uh, it has different, seems to have different effects, I want to say. I mean, they basically all get high, essentially, eating these mushrooms. They all start to trip out. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, they're meant to be magic mushrooms. Some people just sleep. 
and then other people well, it's just... interesting the the girls who prepare the hot pot they get knocked out by the vapors so they just fall asleep but everyone mm. who actually eats the mushrooms they basically get high and trip and start doing this weird routine of showing off a skill they do yeah and I think this is played to a little is is played a little differently in the anime once again as well. It's expanded so, in the anime. Like this, One thing I yeah yeah rereading this chapter, I was surprised that oh Shinobu's moment that was in the anime is in here. Like a lot of the other characters got the same kind of moments, but I was surprised. I don't think Shinobu we see her at all really, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it's it's a funny little gag chapter. Once again. Cherry is using everyone as kind of uh, as guinea pigs to find out if they were Matsutake mushrooms or not. Mm-hmm. They weren't. Uh, and even by the end of it, Onsen Mark's like chomping down on some as well. Yeah, I love uh, which when is pretty he eats funny. the mushrooms like he's going to do his bit, but uh, everyone just throws deaths at him because they don't want to see it. It's so great. This is another great comment on Lum's alien physiology too, because she eats these mushrooms and she's just fine. So it doesn't affect aliens like her. No. No, I, I do like the fact that they that there's just like subtle hints that Lum does have a very different physiology to other people, uh, and stuff that doesn't normally affect people will affect her and vice versa, which I always think is is just a nice little nod to her alienness. This chapter also features a cameo by that Raijin Mark coded teacher who we see in a couple different chapters in this one. It's kind of yeah, interesting yeah, he's... that this is like a minor character and her teacher at the school that shows up a lot, but I don't think it's ever like explicitly named or really given that much of a role, besides just being another notable teacher at the school besides Hanawa. Yeah, Takahashi does seem to have like characters that she's got in her mind who, yeah. that she can draw she needs for certain scenes in certain locations, Right, which is good. This is one of those chapters that just basically ends... Uh, you know, with with Cherry walking off and everyone's still high, and even the other teachers are like getting in on the action because they think it's Matsutake mushrooms. Yeah, it's a fun one, but yeah, the anime version expands on this a lot. It also in a very fun way. It's also just fun to hear the actors act trip down on their minds too. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we also have a uh, soccer returning in the next chapter, Haunted Bottle. Mm-hmm. So basically, the ancestors of Sakura and Cherry. Many years ago, hundreds of years ago, they basically sealed away a sake spirit in a haunted bottle. And then they were promised like 243 years later, they would release it from the bottle to see if it's reformed. But Ten and Lum had kind of found the bottle beforehand and it snuck off and broke the bottle accidentally by like just dropping it from high up and it crashing into the Fujinami's room in the school while Mr. Fujinami and Antemark were like just uh, drinking together. And yeah, basically the sake spirit, you know, it tries to act all tough and tries to get go for a drink, but it gets, you know, beaten up by Mr. Fujinami initially and smacked around by Antemark. So it fails in mm. that respect. And then Sakura and the rest of the gang show up to try and suss out where the spirit is, and Lum and Ten stay silent because they don't want to get in trouble because they're the one who broke the bottle. But mm. the spirit is kind of given a save by Mr. Fujinami, who does feed it a bunch of sake just suddenly. 
But then they get into like a scary face contest, the spirit, Mr. Fujinami, and then Onsamark, and they all just kind of laugh at each other. But then Sherry like scares them straight and basically makes them all devil or over and they steal the spirit back up again. Like this scarier than the spirit was Cherry's face. It's not a great gag. The the final gag here is that it's not just the sake uh, spirit that's been sealed away, but it's also Ryonosuke's dad and Onsen Mark. Yeah, that's also great. He's like they trapped all... in the cupboard with a whole bunch of holy rope around it. Yeah. <laughs> all just trapped in a room. This is once again a bit of a, a, a gag one. Um, I do like uh, some of the art here, especially yeah. when they have the flashback to uh, when the sake were demon or sake spirit was sealed mm. in the first place. Takahashi really seems to enjoy tapping into that kind of more ancient folklore art, yeah. which is um, very popular in Japan. Like you see these these imagined great big scary demons, and of course they come out and they're just like kind of little blobs. Mm-hmm. There's also, I think, I do like the the shape of the demon after it comes out, and it's just kind of like a little kind of bubbly yeah, sort lot. of spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I like here is just it shows Mr. Fujinami and Onsen Mark are mates. Yeah. You know, because they live at the school, you know, they hang out, and Onsen Mark is not popular, doesn't have a wife, and uh, doesn't seem to have many friends, but it's nice to see him, you know, like, kind of hanging out with someone. Yeah. They're peace in the pod. They both like giving their students a hard time, though, in Mr. Fujinami's case, there's one particular mm. student, but they have that kind of same tough love philosophy on kids. The other one thing I'll last, lastly mention about this is the special Cossack dance. <laughs> Where he attacks the the spirit by basically doing a Cossack dance maneuver and just kicking it. Yeah, it's just a just a, a very kind of funny panel there that I think I ended up tweeting out just because it just that sort of stuff just tickles me the right way sometimes. Mm. Okay, and next we've got my mum, the firefighter. Yeah, introducing Ken's mom. Yep. Uh, she's a pretty uh, popular character. She doesn't uh, show up a lot, I, but I think she only has like two storylines, but she's fun. She's a, a very, very fun character uh, and, and very much an an antonym to Ten in a lot of ways. Uh, and it brings out a different side of Ten, which is always fun. Now, of course, it starts out Ataru and Ten are fighting. Ten is consistently breathing fire. And then a little messenger robot shows up to say that his mum is coming and she comes in on like this awesome space motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's hot. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, Ataru is completely enamored. Uh, and they also learn that Ten has to be a, a good little boy around his mummy because she hates arsonists. Mm-hmm. And of course, Ten's uh, fire breathing power uh, would make him a target for from his own mother. So ironic that a firefighter had yeah. a pyrokinetic for his son. And of course, Ataru takes advantage of this. Mm. And every time uh, Ten is preparing to breathe fire, uh, he gongs a bell, and then she turns up with her firefighting gear. Now, the, the bell is an interesting sort of addition here, because in villages in Japan, if there was a fire they would actually have a special bell which you would 
you would gong mm-hmm. so people would know that there is a fire and they were kind of centrally located in a lot of villages. Yeah. Some villages still have them. Another interesting connection to Japanese firefighters is that Tenzin carries around a matoi, which is like a flag that was used in Edo period Japan by firemen to kind of notify people of fires yeah. near buildings. So that's also a kind of yeah. a cool little detail. I really only became conscious of it because of uh, Promare and Fire Force, but now going rereading Gears of the I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that is. And it's like really interesting. Takashi like kind of drew like a an Oni Planet version of the toy, essentially. Hmm. And if there's one thing you've got to know about old Japanese houses, is those things burn. Oh, yeah. Everything's made of wood, and it's a particular type of wood, and it burns. Mm. So you have to be very careful with fire. Okay, um, so we'll go on to the next chapter, which is My Mum the Firefighter Part 2, uh, another fun chapter, and I'll, I'll let you take over from here. Yeah, one thing I, I want to note about the previous chapter is that I do like Ten's mom and Ataru's family kind of, you know, just having a nice chat and, like, bonding over, like, uh, talking about the kids and stuff. So that's kind of nice. Mm. I like. Yeah, that was nice, yeah. Again, kind of like with Onsen Mark of Fujinami talking in the previous chapter, it's kind of nice seeing the adult characters kind of hang out sometimes, too. Yeah, it is It is good to see them having different dynamics. Mm. But, yeah, we basically get a flashback at the start of the second part of this where we get a glimpse into the stories that Ten's mom would tell her son as a kid about how she would hunt down fire fi- fire starters and she would burn them at the stake and run them over with her motorcycle and basically scare <laughs> Ten with this. <laughs> like, I- one thing we'll sort of note is that Ten's mom has such intense expressions when talking about, mm. like, how she wants to destroy pyros and like when she hears fires in the vicinity and stuff like i her crazed expressions are part of what makes her such a fun character like she is intense in a way few characters are but yeah so dan tries to put on a good boy behavior in front of his mom to even though ataru is bullying him but he's planning to get revenge in the class when his mom was not around. But Ataru brought basically the Raijin bell to ding so that it would alert Ten's mom whenever Ten tries to start something. And so Ten is foiled and has to keep it under wraps. But tries to use schemes like luring Ataru out with a love letter to get him alone. And trapping him, basically. Which he falls for. Yeah, he does fall for. He falls for it twice. But the first time he traps yeah. him in the broadcasting room, which is a mistake, because obviously Ataru, as he does, basically turns on the sound system to ring the bell to alert Ten's mom there, which leads into a great 2 way spread of, like, Ten's mom, like, story the school, like, dr- like causing water to flood, ev- like, everywhere she goes, which is great. <laughs> Visual, a great page, a great composition. But yes, Ten does try it again, and this time he ties Ataru up in a tree and burns the tree. And, like, the uh, Ten's mom, though, sees the fire, and is allergic to fire, and then goes out to basically put it out. But Ataru uses his crazy strength to lift the tree up as well, 
So, Kentrom does successfully put out the fire, but Ataru is still tied to the tree and he's lifted it off the ground at this point. So when thanking Ten's mom and bowing, he basically caused the tree to crash down and split the skull in half, essentially. And so <laughs> the principal tells Ansemark to suspend Ataru for a week. So Ten does technically <laughs> eke out a victory here. He wins here. Yeah. yeah. What I love about this chapter, there's, there's quite a few things here. It, it's very, very fun. Mm. Um, but... Whenever you get just even a tiny glimpse into like the culture or or anything like anything to do with Oniboshi, especially in flashbacks, I I'm just a sucker for all of that. You see these weird wacky robots with like the big key in the back, like an old winder robot toy from like the 1960s or 50s, uh, looking after. Basically, it's a nanny robot looking after Ten. You see uh, Ten's mom's like crazed expressions. Yeah. Um, and basically murdering people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like she got into this profession because she hates pyromaniacs and wants to murder people. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like a firefighter burning people at the stake. Like she is uh, zealous for yeah. her campaign against fire starters. Yeah, and she's bored when she's not doing it. She's, so she wants action. Yeah. Like, she's disappointed when there isn't a fire. So you, you kind of see that kind of craziness that uh, that seems to come a lot from that planet. Yeah. Uh, with a lot of the characters. Ataru falling for the love letter twice, I think, is just it's hilarious. So yeah. Uh, because no one would be that stupid, and of course Ataru is that stupid. Mm -hmm. But Ataru's massive strength here is pretty funny. Uh, oh, and yeah. just... Getting suspended for like one week, only a week. To destroy yeah. the school, well, the school's probably been destroyed many times at this point. So many, many times. You know, it's a punitive punishment, but it doesn't have to be as severe because they're used to this. I'm sure their insurance is good at this point. Or oh yeah, they right. must. Their premiums must yeah. be sky high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, chapter sixteen, love, darling, in danger. This is a bit more of a sweet chapter, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, Ran is making cakes to give to Ray. One falls on the ground, and Ataru goes, I'll eat this, because that's what he yeah. does. Uh, it's kind of a running gag at this point that Ataru will just kind of, anything he finds on the ground, he'll just kind of pop into his mouth. Mm. In this case, uh, though, he does know where it comes from, because he saw it drop out of Ran's basket. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, and that's one of the reasons why he eats it, mm -hmm. I suppose. But, uh, Ataru's stomach gets really bloated, mm -hmm. uh, and she thinks that he's dying, so she goes into subspace to track down Run. Uh, in in a very panicky sort of uh, in a panicky sort of way, while um, Cherry is meant to be minding Ataru, he accidentally, of course, disconnects the um, the biofeedback device, and she starts to think that he's actually dead. Yeah, and. They go, uh, Ray finds uh, Lum crying. They all go back to Ataru, who is actually fine by now. He's just got like a really uh, bloated stomach. <laughs> yeah. So this is another fun kind of sweet chapter. Like, like Lum will do pretty much anything for Ataru. Yeah. Uh, and I do love the art when she's in subspace. Yeah, it's a very Alice in Wonderlandy type of world, and this is more exaggerated in the anime, which I think really took yeah. it and ran with it in a beautiful way. 
But yeah, it is like a very emotional story. Like he's she's trying to save Atari's life, and there's a moment where she thinks he's dead, and she's just like bawling. And it's very sad. It's uh, this is also interesting because Ron has an interesting character moment of kind of selflessness here because when she sees that mom yeah. is sincerely crying and worried about Ataru, like she suggests like going back with her to check in on Ataru. You know, she does in this moment actually want to console her friend and reassure her. Which is kind of a rare yeah. again moment of selflessness for her, which I thought was very nice to see. Yeah. It does happen sometimes. Um and of course Cherry is to blame here for a lot of this. Mm. <laughs> But I think this chapter was meant to be in some sort of colour, probably the um Yeah. It definitely gets probably the sense. that kind of orange tone. Yeah. Um because Ray looks a lot darker here and you can tell that he probably would have been in some sort of orange hue here. Mm-hmm. And once again, um <laughs> Ray is attacking Ataru at the end, which is also funny. Yeah, Ataru's because, laughing. Not at because all. of anything to do with Lum, just because he because he ate one of his cakes. <laughs> I love how they localize race cries as oink moo, like both a pig and cow <laughs> squeal. Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, the the oink moo thing is probably in 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 uh, Japanese the onomatopoeia that pigs make. The sound that pigs make is uh, boo mm-hmm. boo boo instead of oink oink. Uh, but moo is still the same. So it's probably Moo Boo or Boo Moo or something like that yeah. in the original Japanese. Uh, next is chapter 17, the wild Christmas tree party. Yeah, so Ryoko sent out invitations to a bunch of different characters to invite them to her Christmas ball. Taru is one of them, but he has to bring a companion, so he has to bring Lum, even though initially, you know, he thought she wasn't invited, but... Yeah, he has to come with a guest, and Tem, unfortunately, was not invited by himself with Topsnick, who wasn't Topsnick, who brings him as his guest. Basically, the party is kind of a game Ryoko wants to play with her guests to make them climb up this giant Christmas tree. The prize she'll give to those mm. who climb to the summit, essentially, besides the fabulous feast awaiting them, is either a kiss from her for the boys, or a kiss from Mendo for the girls. And that basically incentivizes everyone to go and partake in this tree-climbing game. Mendo is at first hesitant to participate, but when he learns that Lum is one of the participants, he's more attuned to the idea. But then when he finds out that Ataru is also there, of course, he goes to sabotage him while he's climbing. So that leads to a bunch of different maneuvering between characters who are climbing up and falling down and interacting with each other. This includes Ryunosuke, who has a flashback about how her idea of Christmas was warped by her dad as a kid. And in particular, her dad lied to her about what a cake was and tried to pass off the cake he was eating back in their old Christmases as a kid as, like, medicine and never gave her any. And that gets her mad, so she starts fighting him while they're climbing the tree. Hmm. Eventually, though, Ryoko gets kind of bored that everyone is just, like, fighting and kind of falling and not really reaching the top. So she hmm. gets upset and basically launches the tree into space where it explodes like a fire for- firework, <laughs> causing everyone to, like, go flying with it. <laughs> it's a it's a sweet little nice enclosed Christmas chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do love the visual gag of of Mendo like pulling out his sword, jumping down to kill Ataru, 
and then just misses completely yeah, and just keeps so falling. <laughs> <laughs> like as you as time goes on, Mendo is just less and less and less of a threat, mm-hmm. and and just more of a gag character. And I love that he tries to catch Shinobu while he's falling, but Ataru basically kicks yeah. him out of the way to catch Shinobu instead. <laughs> And he does actually catch Shinobu. Mm-hmm. And, like, she is grateful. Uh, and then he, of course, tries to take advantage of it, but that's that's a tyrant. Well, no, then he does try, he gets distracted by Ron falling and goes after her. I love how he has to pull Ron <laughs> along because they're all attached to each other, all the couples who attended they're by chains. Up. Yeah. So, yeah, like, he's he's pulling Ron along for the ride by the chain while he's going after these different girls who are falling. So, we've got uh, chapter 18 Slumbering Family Heirloom. Um, this is set in the uh, Mendo estate, so Mendo goes to see his grandfather, um, who is just, like, a perverted old man as well, mm. and is wearing an octopus mask, and basically tells him to go and find the uh, the Mendo family treasure, uh, and gives him a map, and, in fact, make multiple copies of the map, and gives it to all, all of Mendo's friends, quote-unquote. <laughs> And it's basically kind of like an obstacle course sort of um, sort of ordeal here, uh, as they're all going to try and find this treasure. They finally find something like a little button in a box. They push it. They go downstairs, and they end up right back where they started mm-hmm. uh, at uh, the grandfather's, just beneath his uh, tatami mats. Uh, it turns out that the treasure was actually a the Hiyotoko uh, mask Hiyotoko he was wearing. Mask. And he just didn't and realize he was already, he was already wearing. wearing. So once again, this is uh, this is kind of meant to be set around New Year's. I do like the fact that uh, the although they've got all of these uh, minders and helpers and like bodyguards, they still mess with um, with Mendo and trip him over. Yeah, because they're bored. Yeah, I like the also the weird kind of contraptions or obstacles like that are in the way of their treasure quest, like the penguin robots that are like wind up and. Yeah. Spit- Shaved Ice Rider, those are really fun. It's, uh, I do like seeing other members of the Mendo family. Like, it's just no surprise that his, although his mother and father look and act quite dignified, of course his grandfather is a complete pervert mm-hmm. and is just always hanging around lots of women and getting drunk and stuff like that. Yeah, and also kind of absent minded, as the yeah. bodyguards say. He's got a little senile. <laughs> But I love the <laughs> face of absolute disgust both Otaro and Mendo have with the revelation that the treasure was the mask he was wearing. Those are great faces. It is. I think Takahashi had a lot of fun with the art in this one as well. Mm-hmm. Next we've got uh, chapter 19, Ryonosuke's Quality yeah. Family Time. Uh, we haven't ever had enough of that in this volume, but yes, another Ryonosuke chapter. And basically the Fujinamis have been gone since the new year for a family trip and they're basically training in the mountains and basically they're supposed to be training but more or less Fujinami, Mr. Fujinami is screwing around with Ryunosuke as she's like kind of trudging along on their trek and he spends basically New Year's Eve just you know chilling out by the fire same thing with New Year's Day, and that makes Ryunosuke upset, and she wants to return back to Tokyo. But of course, her dad tries to sabotage her and makes her carry him on his back. 
They basically encounter the ski lodge that Achara and the rest of the class had gone to for basically a vacation. And they break into there. Rinosuke's kind of embarrassed to be seen by them there. So he gets too embarrassed to like eat, though Mr. Fujinami has no shame. So he eats basically the meal that was presented there. Then they get into like a duel with the prize being if Rinosuke wins, she can just go back to Tokyo instead of continue this training. And so they're about to do this traditional duel, you know, backs against each other, each with a hammer in hand. If the count is three, they would you know, begin their fight, but Fujinami cheats because he this used his overgrown hair t- to disguise which way he was facing, and so they mm. thought he was facing her, her back, but he was actually like he actually dressed himself so that it would appear that he was facing front view, and that was actually his back. So it was all. Shadow Soldier front is back trick. So he tricks her like that. And yeah, they basically skip out on the rest of the New Year's and are still like training in the mountains. Or rather like Mr. Fujinami is bedridden, it seems, from Hunter Pangs. And they're just kind of stuck there. But Ataru has learned from Mr. Fujinami in class and is using the front back trick to eat lunch early <laughs> while Amsen is teaching class. This is another kind of chapter that, I don't know, does, doesn't seem to have a particularly good through line in it. I think there are some fun gags. Like, me, I like the... the there's some, it's it's more of a gag chapter than anything yeah. else. There's there's no real kind of, like, solid story or anything like that. There's a bit of fun art, like when uh, I do like uh, Fujinami with a beard. Mm. Because he just looks like an, the abominable snowman or something like that. Yeah. And when he appears in front of Ataru, his eyes just pop out of his head. I mean, he looks like the monks from the peach uh, place, the peach heaven from the last volume we talked about. Yes, yeah. Who also had, like, these overgrown beards and hair that, like, covered their entire faces. It's a it's a fun little chapter, but nothing nothing's really kind of solid in there. It's just kind of more of a bunch of gags. Mm-hmm. Chapter 20, Lum's Wrath, is a lot more well put together. Lum is knitting Ataru a scarf, which actually says Ataru on it. She's very proud of herself, and of course, back in the house, Ataru and Ten are fighting again. Lum comes back, gives the scarf to Ataru as Ten breathes fire, and it disintegrates. Now, Lum is of course upset with this, but is more pleased about the fact that Ataru is upset by this. (laughs) So, Ten knows that he needs to apologize, but being such a a brat, he doesn't know how. So he goes and asks a bunch of people how to apologize, like Mendo. Turns out Mendo doesn't know how to really apologize properly either, which is fun when you see him kind of like say, this is how you apologize. You kind of put your arms out and puff your chest and say, sorry. Not really a bow and a ball. That he, and that's what's fun is that Mendo thinks that's how you bow, but rather that's yeah. him just, you know, acting standoffish, not like showing a sincere act of apologizing, which I think just goes to his upbringing as like, you know, this rich, posh, spoiled brat. Yeah. Um, you got uh, a little flashback here because Ten, Ataru is insisting that Lum punish Ten somehow and she's kind of rehearsing it. And 
Ten sees her rehearsing and gets scared. Mm. There's a nice little flashback to uh, when Lum was young and her father is uh, giving her a, a smacked bottom uh, because she was playing with guns. You know, a seems good gun PSA there. <laughs> like, don't play with guns. Yeah. They can go off and kill Don't like play you. with ray guns. They're not toys, yeah. kids. But yeah. Um, but Lum definitely does seem like the kind of kid who would have played with guns. Mm-hmm. Ten thinks of running away, but then he ends up apologizing by writing on Ataru's back. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Lum. Ten, the good boy. Where he encounters yeah, Sakura, who reassures her, him that, like, no, it's okay. You don't have to run away. That's not such a bad thing. Just apologize sincerely. Mm. And if you're afraid to do that, yeah, she gives him the suggestion to, like, write the message. Uh, knitted on Atari's back, which is like, yeah, it's a really mm. sweet ending. It's it's quite nice. Um, of course, you know, it's written all over Atari's <laughs> yeah. back here, so she kind of gets him. He kind of gets him again there, which is nice. Yeah. And uh, Lum is knitting a new, a new, a scarf. new scarf, and she's actually got quite a nice little look on her face. Yeah, there. A nice expression. She's happy with the apology. Like you know, I mean, she also she wasn't holding it hard against Den to begin with, but she thinks that. The way he's apologized was very sincere and sweet. I like that. Mm. I what I do like about this chapter is that um, when Lum is practicing getting angry at Ten, like by like putting on her scary face and letting off electricity, we haven't seen this look for a while. Mm-hmm. We kind of see her a little bit angry and a little bit, um, uh, you know, gropy at uh, Ataru when he's being a bad boy and hitting on other women. But we haven't seen her go full oni. For a while, yeah, and I think that's something that um, Takahashi seems to miss drawing as well because it just looks like so much fun. Mm-hmm. I do like that she thinks, "Man, I can't be that ferocious," but she's scared. Yeah. Ten, she just t- like- <laughs> totally do- does that naturally. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so, chapter twenty-one: So long, hot springs. No, emblem. don't say <laughs> it. Don't say it, AC. <laughs> <laughs> it is so long. Oh, I think I just gave myself mark. laryngitis by saying that out loud. So long, hot onsen mark. <laughs> yes, he is hot. <laughs> we can agree on that part. That word. The rest of it, maybe not. I was when I when I re- read that chapter for the first time. I was physically reaching for a pen just to cross that out. <laughs> oh and my god! Onsen mark, and I'm reading no, the digital one, but even I want to like scratch word. out the word somehow from my screen. <laughs> oh yes but yes so the rumor is going around that onsen mark is going to retire and all the students are happy about that because then things will be easier for them onsen has one final request before he leaves tomobiki in that he wants to have like a basically a sport event where the students will race and the excuse he gives to their principal that wins them over is that he wants to see the students wedding youthfully and burn into his eyes and move out of them running with great dedication. This is all a trick though. Onsen really wants to punish the students, mainly Ataru in particular, by doing one last act of sabotage for him. So in mm-hmm. the field that the students are going to run across like he is digging a pit trap but Ataru is also being in a pit trap and unbeknownst to them they're basically digging their holes like right side by side like backstory to each other and for some inexplicable reason they can't hear each other laugh maniacally about their plot which is very fun and love is there too like drinking like coffee or tea like pretty chilly 
on the steps. So, you know, you think she'd notice, but no one does. So, the race happens on the next day, and the teachers are all along the race path to make sure that the students actually do engage in a race and don't just ditch out. And basically, they all are trying to maneuver Ataru to the specific location where Ansa Mark wants to lure him into the pit trap, which is what happens. Ansa and Ataru confront each other in the field. They basically try to trick each other into going around to fall into the hole, and they don't, both do indeed fall into the hole. And the holes that they dug, they intersect with each other underground so they're basically just fighting underground in their pit trap while angry at each other for trying to sabotage them this is a this is another fun chapter um we kind of haven't seen although we see school chapters we don't see like a a kind of like a a school-wide attempt to pick on the students Mm. um like we did about two volumes ago which was very heavily focused on school it's kind of good to see that dynamic back again yeah. of students versus teachers. And the the principal who is is very moved mm-hmm. and um very gullible at the same time is um is kind of a fun character who is explored a little bit more later on in the series. Yeah, I think he only gets weirder from here. Yeah, like he he's does. still kind he of in the face where he's a sincere educator, but then he has yeah. more interesting educational philosophies that also involve putting the students through a bunch of weird trials or activities. Uh, it turns out that uh, at the end of this as well, Onsen Mark will not be transferring to another school because no other school will accept him. Yeah, basically they so notice... stuck. People notice the race and the teachers dressing up in weird costumes to chase out their students around town. I think that's the reason why... His transfer was cancelled. It's just because, oh, Tomobiki's yep. reputation and Onsen's vicariously has been very degraded by this <laughs> crazy incident. Uh, I do one of the things I did want to mention when the when the teachers are uh like dressing up as like kind of common objects found around town to like scare and get the students, Lum sees one of these and just electrocutes the person, yeah. the teacher on the inside. It's which is just a nice little thing where she, she notices it. She sees yeah. him in the mailbox and just electrocutes him. It's still good. I just, I, I do love that. I do love the ninja trickery that goes on here. It's a, it's again, it's just a little fun chapter. Uh, and uh, Onsen Mark is is stuck yeah. there forever. Yeah, it's nice to see it in our Onsen chapter. I mean... He's been in this volume, but this, like you said, is the first students versus teacher type of story we've had in quite a bit. So it's a nice return there. And also, the it next is. chapter is a nice return to kind of a conflict we haven't seen in a while. It is. Um, it's chapter 22. It's our Setsubun Festival feud. And I do love a good Setsubun mm-hmm. chapter. Uh, mostly because Ben 10, another fan favorite, yeah, yeah has returned. Uh, and, you know, Ben 10 is also one of those people who is just kind of bored a lot of the time and just kind of wants to hang out with Lum and, and cause trouble and stuff like that. And Setsubun is the perfect time. Uh, Setsubun, of course, is the Japanese traditional holiday of throwing beans at ogres to get them out of your house, uh, to get chase the bad luck out of your house. 
we celebrate that every year, and every year I am the ogre. <laughs> I am the Oni. I even have an Oni mask and everything like that. Uh, so they decide to celebrate Setsubun. Lum is not particularly happy with this because, of course, she knows that Ataru is going to gang up on her with Benten and also hit on Benten. So this year, Lum has a sneaky little plan where she glues uh, horns onto Ataru's head. Which, of course, Ben 10 arrives at the opportune moment to see that he's now an ogre uh, and is no longer on his side. However, he can't get the horns off, so when he goes to school, he wears a scarf around his head. Onsen sees it and goes, why are you wearing that stupid thing? Takes it off, sees the horns, and then sticks another pair on uh, Onsen Mark as well. <laughs> Where did he get so those this horns? How like many spares did he have? <laughs> but it's fun way to get Onsen involved in this conflict, too. It is. It is fun to kind of include the school in this again. And of course, <laughs> there's a, a fantastic panel where Ben 10 shows up and just kicks the crap out of Onsen Mark in the back of the head. Yeah, and I love throughout this chapter, Ataru is unifying other students like Mendo and other classmates. <laughs> mm. Yeah, so he starts, of course, sticking horns on other people, which turns uh, Ben 10 against them as well. And it's just a free-for-all in the classroom. Mm. Uh, and the the principal comes to, <laughs> to see what's going on, gets trampled on, suspends everyone for a week, and then again it just ends up being uh, Ataru and Lum with guns shooting at each other. And then I think it's like a basically so the, the, the gun that Lum the end is shoots Nato. out, it shoots Nato, and it just traps everyone hmm. in the Nato except for Lum and Benton and Ten. Nato, for those who don't know, so beans, you throw dry beans at, in Setsubun, and uh, here, Ben 10 has like a, a pea shooter, effectively like a machine pea shooter, um, that's shooting them out like bullets. Lum has got a machine that gets these beans and ferments them into sticky Nato, which is like glue, and that's her weapon. So the joke here is that it's the opposite of what... Ben 10 is doing. They're both beans, but one is dry, the other one is the fermented type. Mm. Uh, natto is basically soybeans, which are, have been left to ferment, go bad, sticky, and it's disgusting. Moral of the story is don't eat natto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'm not a fan of natto, personally, obviously, uh, but uh, I, uh, my wife and my daughter love natto. Uh, it is particularly a very very sticky substance as well like when you when you lift a spoonful of it up all of these like sticky almost like spiderweb stuff like tendrils you just can't seem to get it unstuck from the rest of the you've got to kind of twirl it around almost like pasta <laughs> uh, it's kind of gross i can imagine <laughs> So once again, all the students get involved, uh, and then uh, Lum and uh, Ben Ten are just having a good little chuckle about it later on. Yeah, like you know, they had fun. They're the fighting stopped. Yeah, mm. I mean, they're they had their fell by. It looks like all the other students in the Nato are still at each other's throats. So yeah, uh, I do like. There's a lot of good art here. I do kind of like Ataru with horns. Yeah. It just kind of suits him. It really it's, does. It's, it's, he's got a look here. I mean, he's got a devilish look to him, I think. Impy, yeah. rather. Especially when he uh, when he takes off, when Onsen Mark takes off the scarf over um, Ataru's head, he's really got this kind of demonic presence. He goes, now you've seen me. That's right. I'm an ogre now. 
And like Onsen is actually kind of freaked out by this. Uh, and then he just gets tricked by saying, look over there, and then sticks horns on him as well. Yeah. So it's a it's just a fun Setsubun chapter. Um, yeah. There's not quite enough Ben 10 in here for my liking. It would have been good if they'd done this over two chapters, I think. But Yeah, give her some more moments to shine. I mean, she's it's fun that yeah. she came back after so long. But yeah, mm. there's definitely other storylines in the series that show off her personality a little more. But yeah, this is like the third Setsubun chapter, so it's presumably three yes. years, but the characters have not aged or moved on grades. And they're st- still in the same year of high school. No. What's interesting about this chapter is that uh, Ryonosuke is here, she's present, um, but I don't think she has any lines or does anything at all. Yeah, she's in one, she's in a couple panels. Shinobu is too, but yeah, she and Shinobu really don't get involved. It really just becomes the male characters, yeah. actually, I think. That's kind of what yeah. happens is that Ataru only finds that her male characters and other male characters get involved with this Setsubun thing, but I don't think the female characters really follow suit. Yeah, and and that's fair enough. Like I understand that, that you can't have too many characters, and later on in the series, you will see Ryonosuke and Ben 10. Oh, yeah team up with each other and that does become more of a relationship between those two characters Especially but they the just anime. had they had no dialogue or yeah. no each other. it's interesting oh, yeah, yeah. technically really this would have been the anime. first time she would have met benton but since i guess they didn't formally like introduce themselves to each other then they didn't really you know become cognizant or aware of each other until that storyline where they you know do have that kind of conflict interaction with each other yeah, and it becomes it's, it becomes an interesting sort of thing later on. So it's a, you know, for both of them to be in the same room at the same time but not interact at all, I just found was a little bit interesting. Yeah, considering what happens later on. That's a good catch. Uh, and that's that's uh, that's it for all the chapters. We'll just uh, do a bit on the data file. Yeah, Shinobu's side. We'll call it. This is basically describing Shinobu's character and her friendship. And history with Ataru and tries to dig into like what does Shinobu find appealing in a romantic partner because they note that you know she doesn't mind Ataru's looks and she doesn't mind other characters for their looks necessarily. Dedication mm. is more important to her necessarily than appearances, which is kind of interesting. But also it goes on to describe why she can't seem to escape like dating or being interested in men like Ataru and Mendo who are kind of flirts and not very faithful. And it seems that their conclusion is that a lot of women just have a certain type and Shinobu unfortunately has like this type of person she gets attracted to that often ends up disappointing her. And the thing about this data file that I kind of find incomplete is that it doesn't go on to address how Shinobu does grow from that and when she meets Inaba. So, like, I think this is a good overview of her character to a point, but I think that it is missing, like, a lot of the development she has in the later half of the series, and particularly when she yeah. begins her relationship with Inaba and how she finally decides, you know, grow from like being trapped in these unhappy relationships and being unhappy about how her life hasn't really changed and then like actually work to change herself so she can live more happily. 
And I think that's a good point. And as I said before, like these data files are made after the series had concluded and they were re-releasing them because it obviously flashes forward and has references to future chapters. Mm -hmm. So it is odd. And I suppose they could have put these in here to avoid spoilers, but... Yeah, but other files have not avoided spoilers. And it's also, yeah, it's just kind of odd that it kind of is incomplete in an overview of Shinobu's character in that way. I also think it's kind of an odd yeah, because... inclusion here in particular. I mean, we've talked about some data files that are kind of placed oddly or interestingly in different volumes, but this one, in, it's placed within this volume where we don't really have a lot of focus on Shinobu, just kind of feels off. It kind of feels like maybe yeah. should have had a focus on a different character who's featured here, like maybe Ten's mom or even Ben Ten since she shows up in this last chapter in this volume but yeah i don't know i would have saved this and then maybe expanded upon it yeah it would have been good to put rionosuke here or something like that yeah i agree like shinobu's an odd character because she's always around right and she's very reactive to situations and she will occasionally get her own chapter but you find out a lot about her at the start and then at the stuff end, does yeah. kind of happen in the middle but it's towards the end that she kind of becomes more complete as a character yeah and kind of cements herself. Yeah, in many respects, Shinobu has one of the most significant character arcs in terms of changing as a person from the, how she was in the beginning to where she is at the end. So, I do feel... But I think feel, Takahashi knew that. Yeah. Because the series, I think she did want to end the series, I think she wanted to give certain characters a good send-off. Yeah. And I think that was appropriate for Shinobu, who was basically... One of the original protagonists yeah, the original and one was the antagonist when when it started. Like she was the good person who was loyal to Ataru and you know really was dating him and you know really said that she would marry him one day. Yeah, and of course the manga addresses that and shows that Shinobu isn't locked into that future that it yeah you yeah know, presented at the beginning, which is you know a really great move of storytelling which is one of the reasons why I really love her character so much. But, yeah. It's interesting that Takahashi obviously always had that in the back of her mind. It's like, I did that future episode, so when I'm ending everything off, I need to go back and say the future isn't set. So that was like one possible future. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so fascinating that for years, fans would have known at the back of their minds, wait, we saw the future. We know Ataru and Shinobu are getting together, but it's really Ataru and Lum are going closer and Shinobu's drifting apart. So what's going on here? How is that future we saw going to happen? And it's great Takashi addressed that in a way that showed how the characters had grown from where they were to the point that, yes, the future has changed. They have changed their own futures through their own growth. Yeah. And, and you know, and nobody deserves that more than Shinobu mm. after everything she'd been through. So we've got the stats page here at the end, the uncontrollable appetite of a teenage boy, which is... um. Just about Ataru eating yeah. pretty much and, you know, how he always sneaks his uh, his lunch early in class and stuff like that. And this is also not as many times as you'd think. No, it's um like he does it surreptitiously, but it's only pulls an early luncher nine times, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think we've seen most of those times already, I want to say. We even saw one of them in this chapter. Yeah, I think so. The examples they reference here have all been from chapters we've covered already in the mm. previous volumes. Uh, and he 
the contents of Ataru's lunches and, and stuff like that. So this is this is kind of just like a nice little, just a nice little yeah. This is just a nice little fun fact about how of a running gag. Yeah, and Ataru really does love to eat. Yeah, like he doesn't. He's not a particularly complicated character, and he is a bit of a glutton as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was Urusei Atara Volume Eight, and Nine has also come out as well. Yes. Uh, I'm looking forward to to doing nine. Nine, I think, is a little bit more solid in terms of storylines and um, nine and has stuff one like of that, my so. favorite storylines. Perhaps it's not not my favorite favorite, but it's close up there. It's one of the funniest comedic storylines I think in the series. So I'm super excited. I think to talk I know which it. one you're talking about. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that'll be a really fun one to talk about as well. Actually, so we'll do that next time. Nine, and then after that, I think we might do. We might do the movies. We're thinking about but doing the first. It depends movie. on when ten comes out and when we record the <laughs> podcast for that month. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I'm not sure when ten is scheduled to come 10 out. Ten will be so. out in mid-May. So depending on when we record the podcast for May, whether we'll record it the earlier of the month or the later of the month, that'll depend on when what we decide to cover for that month's yeah, episode of the yeah. show. It might not be a bad idea to kind of change things up and talk about something else for a while yeah, as well. Especially like well, after we get to nine, the, we'll have caught up on the releases. So taking a break yeah, to cover a movie and then come back to 10 afterward wouldn't be a, a big deal because we'd have some leeway until the next volume after that comes out too. Yeah, and you know, being in Australia, I don't always get these things when they come out. And I always like to collect the physical version of these. Mm-hmm. Although you know, I don't know, I, I really should start collecting, like reading my manga more digitally. I really, really should. But Ursa Atara, I'll always collect the physical ones of these. Absolutely. Okay. So thank you very much for listening. Um, I suppose it's time to do our outro. I am Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, and you can find me on Twitter at ProdTally, where I do the Daily Lum. Yeah. And do you want to shout out your podcast? Um, I am... S- yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I haven't done an episode of my other podcast for a little while, actually. Uh, Game Life Balance Australia. We're recording only kind of once every couple of months at the moment. Uh, but my life... Uh, is actually kind of a little bit busy at the moment, so I'm, uh, and so is my friend who I do that with. So you can just uh, just look up Game Life Balance Australia, and you'll find all of that. And we've done over a hundred episodes in the past. So if you're interested in gaming, especially retro gaming, and people who want a game but find it difficult because they have children, <laughs> <laughs> that is a good podcast for it. Yeah. And how about yourself? Yeah, you can find me at Lam Ramayasha on Twitter and at Lam Ramayasha right places like Amateur Revelation and Analyst. Wherever there's a Lam Ramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can read my reviews on allashcomment.com. we got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. So look forward to more on there, including reviews of the Urusei Oxar volumes. Like, I'm catching up on those, and I have, like, reviews for 6, 7, and 8 all half-written. I just gotta get around to, like, finishing all these reviews, because I start them and then I, I go away from them and it's like oh now I gotta kind of refresh myself on what I want to say so I will have them published though hopefully by the time you're listening to this and nine on the way as well awesome but also you can check out more of my thoughts on various manga series on my manga focus podcast manga mavericks 
where we are a podcast where we cover manga for the medium industry and we discuss a lot of different types of manga. We report manga news, we conduct interviews with special guests working in the industry as well as just other fan creators and friends of ours. So definitely check out our show. We've been having a great time. We've got a lot of cool episodes coming up. And you can follow that on Manga. You guys get some good interviews as well. Oh yeah, we have another one coming up that I'm very excited about with a cool indie publisher. So look forward to that as mm. well. And yeah, you can follow that on Twitter at Mongoro underscore Mavericks, Tumblr, MongoRosicumber.com, YouTube slash YouTube slash Manga Mavericks, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on every podcast platform you can think of. So yeah, definitely check us out. But as for Lump Squad, you can follow Lump Squad at Lump underscore Squad on Twitter. And we're on top of longsquad.tumblr.com. And yeah, we're also on pretty much every podcast platform you can think of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. <laughs> so yeah, definitely check us out and search for us. And you always should find us. And if you want to send us feedback, let us know your opinions on characters you love, topics you want to see us discuss. You know, talk about in the future, so you can send those our way to our email, lumsquadpod at gmail.com. And yeah, that's where you can talk to us. And if you want to support Lum Squad and Manga Mavericks, you can do so on the Manga Mavericks Patreon, patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where we have a variety of tier options with incentives for you to you know, reward you for donating a few bucks to us every month, including an early access tier where you can listen to our podcasts, including Lump Squad podcasts, up a little bit early after they're done before their public release date. And you can do that on our $2 tier. And then on our $5 tier, we have monthly bonus podcasts where we, you know, have a Patreon-exclusive podcast for patrons. And the current project that we're doing is a Monterey's Book Club in which Colton and Dr are reviewing Saint Seiya volume by volume. And they're currently in the Hades oh, wow. arc, so they're nearing <laughs> the end of the series. So if you want to tops on another classic 80s manga, definitely uh, get on our Patreon to listen to their research Saint Seiya on there for the first time, because they've had some pretty fun thoughts. And yeah, I think that's about it for where you can find us and how you can support us. So. I want to thank you again for listening to this episode of Hashtag Lump Squad, and we will see you guys in the next one. Sayonara! Bye-bye! Yeah!